Today's the, the final message in our, our series, Family Matters. And today we look at parents matter to God. <clears throat> We're going to cover a lot of different scriptures that, that speak about this uh, duty, this responsibility of parents. I'd like to begin with Psalm 127. Back in the Old Testament, if you open your Bible to the middle, it generally will fall open to the book of Psalms. And this is uh, one of the last ones, Psalm 127. Let's begin in, in verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. That passage suggests that, that children are a gift, a solemn responsibility from God. And like arrows, we must point them in the right direction. They must be guided toward the proper target. And that duty is the assignment primarily of parents. The love for Christ and his church, which flames in our lives, is to be transferred to those who come after us. Today's message is entitled, Parents Matter to God. And, and there are three main things which parents must teach to their children. Parents have this divine duty to teach a child, first of all, uh, children to teach children, first of all, to love themselves. So much of, of what we accomplish in life or fail to accomplish stems from one's self-concept. A good self-esteem is that foundation for e emotional health and, and much of the success that one can achieve. A little boy was coloring with his class, and his teacher asked, Jimmy, what are you drawing? Without looking up, he answered, I'm drawing a picture of God. His teacher objected, but, but Jimmy, no one knows what God looks like. Without looking up, Jimmy responded, they will when I get through. That's a very strong self-esteem. Mark chapter 12, verse 31, was called the second greatest commandment. That's what Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. And loving our neighbor, that command, presupposes this healthy love of self. You can't love others properly if you don't have the right healthy type of love for self. On April 20th, 1999, in Littleton, Colorado, uh, the Columbine High School killers, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, went on a killing rampage that left 13 dead and 16 others wounded. Earlier, Caleb Newberry, a fellow student, had been threatened by Harris. And Newberry's mom made this statement after the, the shooting at the school about the two boys that had, had gone on the rampage. She said, they didn't just hate athletes and black people and Hispanics, they just hated. And I would submit to you that they didn't love themselves, and consequently, they became incapable of loving their neighbors. Before you can love others, you must love yourself. It becomes a primary responsibility for parents to establish a positive self-esteem in their children. That's not solely the duty of parents. It's not exclusively their responsibility. There are other shaping forces, such as peers, teachers, coaches, youth sponsors, and, and this extended family who also share collectively in this task. It is a solemn responsibility. It, it touches each of us uh, with, with a duty. You may not be married. You may not be a parent. But as a Christian adult, you are needed to serve as a spiritual uncle or aunt who will help come alongside and assist as you partner with parents in this effort. 
I don't think it takes a village to raise a child. I do think it takes a church family to raise a child. And young people will begin to love themselves when they understand that their worth comes from being made by God in his image. That's a different message than our culture is teaching. Our culture misleads us to believe that we are of value only if pretty, handsome, smart, rich, athletic, popular, successful, or if we own the right possessions. It's no wonder with this unrealistic pressure on young people that so many are trying to escape with drugs, with with sex, with suicide. The Bible conveys a more substantial value system to define our worth. No greater source of intrinsic value exists than for us to realize that the omnipotent creator of the universe individually fashioned each of us. And we were worth so much to him that our heavenly father sent his son to restore our disrupted relationship with him. And if that weren't too difficult to fathom, he wants to be in daily fellowship with each of us. Not a distant deity, but an available almighty friend. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 26, look at the birds. They don't need to plant or or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than they are. Family matters. Parents, we want our children to grasp the true source of their value and worth. Being made by God, belonging to him, will define each of us as a unique, divinely prepared individual. Parents, we also need for them to understand that their worth comes from being loved unconditionally. Being a parent helps us understand God's unconditional love for us. And while a a child might anger, disappoint, or upset a parent, there's nothing that child could do that would prevent him or her from being loved by that parent. Romans chapter 8, verse 39 states that same principle regarding God's love for us. It says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Since we love our children so much, it's important that we learn how to communicate to them their value so that they will learn to love themselves. How can we do that? Let me give you some practical steps to convey worth. And you might take some notes on these suggestions that will, will help. One way to impart that value to your children is to express worth through praise. Instead of being quick to criticize, be, be quick to emphasize the, the good and, and point out uh, their success. So encourage, compliment, notice improvement, uh, applaud achievement, recognize a job well done, celebrate uh, a success, express worth through praise. Second is avoid destructive criticism. It really takes much more effort for us to discipline constructively than when we become impatient and we find ourselves becoming angry or destructive in our discipline. A third step is is to be patient. Someone observed, patience is a quality you greatly admire in the driver behind you, but not in the driver ahead of you. We need patience for the challenges of parenting. 
It is a long haul commitment that really doesn't end at age 18, but it really goes on for a lifetime. Another step is to avoid the tendency when upset to put down, to speak unkindly, to become unduly critical. It's easy to find fault and focus on that small strip of, of grass that was missed when your kid was mowing the yard and that was left uncut. We gravitate to that negative. Rather than seeing the acre of grass that was done right and, and looks good, we'll notice those few blades of grass that were missed. And, and when we are quick to point that out, that's demoralizing to a kid or to an adult. So avoid that tendency to put down or be unduly critical. The, the next step is, is one we, we can all do. It's, it's support, your, support by your presence at special events. Let them know you are in their corner by showing up and by being there in their corner. At, at ball games, recitals, plays, school events. Recently, our, our oldest grandchild had her first school program with her kindergarten class. They sang three songs. It lasted 15 minutes. We drove four hours and wouldn't have missed it for the world. It was a moment for her and for us. Be there. The next assignment for parents is to offer appropriate touch. Reach and connect with a hug, with an arm around the shoulder, by placing your child on your lap. Fathers of teenage girls often eliminate offering any physical display of affection to their daughters, but that is just when these young ladies need such expressions the most. Josh McDowell quoted an essay written by a 15-year-old girl entitled, What I Wish My Parents Knew About My Sexuality. I had had a rotten day at school, and all I wanted was a little bit of my parents' time, just a simple hug would do. But my parents both work, and by the time they get home, they're usually tired, and they just want to be left alone. So I went to see my boyfriend, and he talked to me about my problems, and I felt 100% better. Wow, I thought from now on, I'll go to him with my problems instead of bothering my parents. One thing has led to another, and I've done things I would have never dreamed I'd do. Appropriate touch conveys love. It, it builds self-esteem. It reduces susceptibility to, to sexual involvement. And as parents, we don't have much control over the permissive attitudes of a, a post-Christian society. We can't regulate what our children will do on a date, but we can insulate our children from feeling alienated. And we can let them know they are accepted and loved. We, we can show them our, our love through our words, through our actions, and send that strong signal that they are valuable to us. Principle number one is teach children to love themselves. Principle number two is teach children to love others. In that second greatest commandment, Mark 12, 31, we see that after we love ourselves, we are to love others. All children are are born with a very egocentric worldview. When hungry, a baby wants to be fed. When thirsty, a baby wants a bottle right now. When wet, a baby wants to be changed. And we all selfishly approach life with this me-first mindset that is preoccupied with the primary satisfaction of my needs. Hopefully, as we grow and mature, we realize that being self-absorbed and ignoring the needs of others is juvenile, lonely, and ultimately unfulfilling. So as we respect and love others, our lives are actually enriched. 
I'm sure that's what was behind Jesus' command to love others as you love yourself. The earlier we begin to teach that respect of others and their property, the easier it will be. The Old Testament book of Proverbs has much to say about applying discipline and teaching our children to respect and love others. Proverbs 13, verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod to save his soul from death. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Then dropping to verse 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace, and he will bring delight to your soul. I heard a radio interview with a spokesman for National Spank Out Day, who suggested we should never spank children or it could lead to abuse. And obviously one should never be abusive in punishing a child, but God's word says it's acceptable to use appropriate corporal punishment to deter destructive, defiant behavior in children. It was my experience growing up that when the the Board of Education was applied to the seat of knowledge that learning took place. It just makes sense to shape the clay while it is still moist and pliable and receptive before it becomes hardened, resistant, and solidified. Parents have a responsibility to teach children to love others, teach them the golden rule of Jesus. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And while we're parenting, we should remember that principle ourselves as we guide the young ones with whom we have been charged to rear. We need to teach children to, to love themselves. We need to teach children to, to love others. And then finally, and most importantly, we need to teach kids to, to love God. Here's a passage that you've maybe never seen before, but it has a lot to say about parenting. It's Psalm 78. It begins in verse 3. It says, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach to their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, uh, but would keep his commands. Somewhere along the line, it's been, the ball's been dropped. We haven't passed that torch as effectively as we should from generation to generation to future generations. We haven't celebrated telling the next generation the, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of, of his power, of the wonders he has done, and we're reaping that today. And so how do we correct that? We begin to tell this generation and the next generation all that God means to us, what he has done for us, what he has done historically in the, in the past, and, and try to convey that going forward. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 6 teach, 
My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and of man. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You can't do this parenting thing alone. Trust in the Lord and and, and lean on, on him, not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Does that mean your kids will never get in trouble or have a problem? No, it means that they're going to have a much smoother road and path than if you don't give them that spiritual teaching and they're left to navigate following the the mandates of our world. Sometimes Christian parents struggle with the question, well, should I make my youth attend church? And some object to the idea of coercing a young person to attend for fear that later that Young person will rebel completely against the church when parental guidance is, is removed. And others claim that if their, their child is forced to, to come to church, he or she will be bored and, and gain nothing from the endeavor. And really neither conclusion adequately defends the idea of letting one's children choose to stay home from church services. Many teenagers would prefer to never darken the door of the doctor's office. Uh, even so, when sick, we still are eager to avoid uh, them getting worse, and we take them to the, to the physician. Parents who are concerned about the welfare of their children must sometimes take their children to the doctor, even though the children say, I, I don't feel like going. Do we think for a minute that that child will rebel against doctors when he or she is an adult? I've yet to hear an adult say, you know, I never go to the doctor because when I was younger, my parents made me go. Sometimes young people don't want to go to school either. It's no fun. It's the same old thing. But caring parents realize the necessity of their children receiving a good education. So they insist that their youth go to school. Uh, A child often attends against his or her will, and yet learning still takes place. So it's necessary that our youth receive proper medical care so they can be healthy. It's important that our youth gain a good education. So parents, please see that is eternally necessary and eternally important for our youth to be guided in their relationship to the Lord. And your own attendance habits will make a difference. You have a responsibility to set the right example in this area. And our our young people can accurately detect our priorities. Our our children need our consistent example. More is caught than is ever taught. Albert Schweitzer said, example isn't the best method of teaching, it's the only method. Parents, that's a responsibility for us to to model the the right behavior. If a parent doesn't want to take a phone call and says, uh, just tell them I'm not home, a child is taught to lie when convenient. If a parent discourages a teen from taking recreational drugs but drinks alcohol to escape pressures, then he or she presents a, a double standard. If a parent misrepresents a child's age in order to receive a, a discounted admission price, then a child learns that it's acceptable to steal discreetly from another's business. I love the joke where the family shows up at the movies and the sign at the movie theater reads, for and under free, and wanting to take advantage of the discounted price that the father said to his son, just tell them you're for, just for now, during the movie. 
And so when the, the ticket taker asked the child innocently, how old are you? The child answered, four. Oh, and when will you turn five? My dad says that after the movie is over, uh, I'll be five. I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases Titus 2.7. Let everything you do reflect your love of the truth and the fact that you are in dead earnest about it. Our children are watching our every move during their early years, and they want to know what is most important to us. And if we hope to instill within them a faith that will last a lifetime, then they must see and feel our passion for God. Parents must always remember that children are a gift from God. They're entrusted to us for a little while, but, but ultimately they belong to the Heavenly Father. Our temporary duty is to guide them to submit to his authority in their lives. It's a responsibility with eternal importance and, and paramount urgency. Probably no one has done more for the Christian family than Dr. James Dobson. And in one of his books, he included a letter that was written by a mother of two small children. She wrote, Dear Dr. Dobson, a few months ago I was making some phone calls in the family room where my three-year-old daughter, Adrian, and my five-month-old, Nathan, were playing quietly. Nathan loves Adrian, who has been learning since the time of his birth how to mother him gently. I suddenly realized that the children were no longer in view. So panic-stricken, I quickly hung up the phone and went looking for the pieces. Down the hall, around the corner, I found the, the children playing cheerfully in Adrian's room. Relieved and at the same time upset, I shouted, Adrian, you know you're not allowed to carry Nathan. He is too little and you could hurt him if he fell and if you dropped him. Startled, she said, I, I didn't, Mommy. Knowing he couldn't crawl that distance, I suspiciously demanded, well, then how did he get all the way into your room? Confident of my approval for her obedience, she said with a smile, I rolled him. <laughs> he is still alive today, and they are still best friends, sincerely. Now, there's a parent who has instilled in her child a faithful submission to authority. When Adrian gets older, she will be better able to obey God and to submit to his authority. Be sensitive to teachable moments. In addition to regular times of training, church attendance, Sunday school, youth groups, family devotions, try to maximize those informal opportunities that we have to, to impart spiritual values and to pass that spiritual torch to our kids. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children, it said. And to paraphrase, it means just talk about them throughout the day. When something objectionable comes up on TV, say, hey, should we be watching this or should we change the channel? Talk about them when you sit at home. Last week, we mentioned the passage from Deuteronomy 6. Talk about them when you're on the road, or in our case, when you're driving in the car on the road. And use those teachable moments to, to maximize passing those values. Seize that opportunity. Watch a video together. Uh, with Christian broadcasting, such as our, our church has the, the Right Now Media uh, membership. And, and if you have young kids, that's just a, a tremendous opportunity for them to see great, great programming. And so take advantage of those moments. You, you have this window of opportunity of just a few years in which to utilize this platform to pass on this torch of, of spiritual values. 
And so make the most of those. And that Deuteronomy 6 passage talks about uh, you know, putting them on the door frames of your house or in, in, on the gates. And I remember when I was growing up, my mom had Christian verses and, and plaques plastered all over the house. And uh, in, in the bathroom, she had Ephesians 4 where it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. So my brother and I, every time we were at the mirror, we were reminded of, of that message. I don't know why she thought we needed that or put it there where we would see it, but she wanted to reinforce that concept, and that's what that verse is suggesting. In the book, Honest to God, Bill Hybels reminds us that nannies, babysitters, daycare workers, and relatives will not give an ultimate account to God for how they raised our children, parents, will. In 1775, Edward Braddock attempted the capture of Fort Duquesne, and this British general brushed aside the warnings about the vulnerability of his troops to Indian ambushers. As he neared the fort, the Indians struck, and Braddock's men fought in formations, lined up the way they had been taught and prescribed in their war manuals from Britain but they were ineffective against the hidden Indian attackers shooting from behind trees and, and rocks. You see, the Indians hadn't read the rule book, and they didn't realize uh, that you know, they were wiser to take advantage of the forest cover. And so Braddock was, was wounded in the conflict, and he made this statement. We shall better know how to deal with them another time. Uh, unfortunately, Braddock's wound was a mortal wound, and those were his dying words. Another opportunity never materialized. And often opportunity knocks only once. Most people do not get a second chance as parents. When your children are grown, it will be impossible for them to say, hey, I'm going to come on home and I want you to raise me over with what you learned at church last Sunday. It doesn't happen that way. We get one shot. So let's take advantage of every opportunity God sends our way. God has given us a high calling, a, a spiritual duty to impart his values to the next generation. Let's do our very best. There is one exception to that, and that is grandparenting. Grandparents can have a second chance at parenting as they lead their grandchildren. And spiritual uncles, spiritual aunts are all needed to, to help keep the torch burning and, and complete that successful handoff. Barbara Ryberg wrote this poem I want to close with. It's called The Greatest Test. She said, help me to walk so close to thee that those who know me best can see. I live as godly as I pray, and Christ is real from day to day. I see some once a day or a year. To them, I blameless might appear. It's easy to be kind and sweet to people whom we seldom meet. But in my home are those who see too many times the worst of me. My hymns of praise are best unsung if he does not control my tongue. When I am vexed and sorely tried and my impatience cannot hide, may no one stumble over me because thy love they failed to see. But give me, Lord, a life that sings and victory over little things. Give me thy calm for every fear, thy peace for every falling tear. Make mine, O Lord, through calm and strife, a gracious and unselfish life. Help me with those who know me best, for Jesus' sake, to stand the test.
I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Would you stand right now with me? And we're going to pray together. We began this series with prayer. And right now we want to conclude this focus on family matters with prayer. Dear God, what a daunting assignment. What a difficult task under the best of circumstances. And we live in a culture that is working determinedly against you and against your church and against our efforts as parents. We admit we are woefully inadequate for this, this challenge. But as we've been reminded today with, with your Holy Spirit, all, all things are possible. Jesus has left us the comforter, that helper to, to assist us in, in this, this opportunity that we have. May we all sense our collective duty, again, whether we are parents, grandparents, or don't have kids, we all work together to, to point the young people of our church and community to, to know and love you so that we may be together for eternity. And so, Lord, we just uh, call out to you today, crying out for your, your grace over our failures and mistakes and for your wisdom and direction to do better going forward and to do that with your help but to rely on you and and lean on your understanding not on our own so i i pray a, a prayer specifically today for the the families that are represented in the, the sound of my voice whether in our our service whether watching a live simulcast whether days or weeks later watching this message on youtube that your message would resonate and we would all leave with the intention to, to do better at pointing young people to you. That's our prayer in, in the name of Jesus. Amen.